Welcome to Net Migrations, Pittsburgh's first podcast dedicated to the immigrant soccer community. My name is Eric Moreno and I'm your host. I'll be bringing on various leaders from across the Pittsburgh immigrant soccer community and we'll hear about their life stories, their current work, and their missions for the future. Let's get it. All right, so welcome to the first episode. I'm here with uh, my friend Haji Muya. Um, Haji graduated from the Art Institute of Pittsburgh with a filmmaking and video productions degree, worked in television production at WPGH, WPMY, WTAE, and WPXI. In 2015, he became a teaching artist for Steel Town Entertainment Project for their youth and media program, teaching high school and middle school students filmmaking and video production. He then started LKF Entertainment Films, shooting music videos, commercials, short films, wedding and corporate videos, as well as working as an independent contractor as a first AC and cinematographer. Welcome, Haji. Uh, thank you so much for having me. This is uh, a blessing and amazing. So what is the podcast about? What are we, what are we going to get into? Yeah, so great question. So this is actually the first episode of the podcast, as you know. Um, mm-hmm. Just so that everybody knows the purpose of the podcast, this is actually my senior capstone. I'm a, I'm a global studies major at CMU. Um, and they basically gave us like this super open-ended prompt, like basically do whatever you want. Mm-hmm. And I've written enough papers. I've done enough kind of the classic academia stuff. Yeah. Um, and I have experience. I've done one podcast before. I transferred over from George Washington University in DC. Mm-hmm. Um, I did a podcast over there with a Latino organization about kind of being a Latino in higher education. Um, but that was virtual over COVID, so I wanted to do an in-person podcast for the first time. Um, so full disclosure, we're in CMU's media development room um, to all the listeners out there. And uh, yeah, it's uh, it's pretty exciting, man. You know, I, I wanted to take advantage of it. I'm taking a podcasting class this semester, so I just wanted to see what I could do on, on my own, kind of uh, uh, sharpen the knife a little bit, um, if I could say it that way. But um yeah, and then as far as the topic of of the Pittsburgh immigrant soccer community, I explored a bunch of topics of of what what could what I could do the podcast about. Mm-hmm. I'm obviously Latino, so I I and I've done some work in Pittsburgh with the Latino community, but it's it's kind of it's spread kind of far between the the Latino community isn't that large. There's not that yeah. big of a population, and a lot of them live in Moon Township, Beachview, and it's and I haven't worked as intimately. Like, I think yeah. I've worked more intimately with the soccer community, as you know. For all the listeners, I know Haji through Open Field. Um, and I just I just figured, like, soccer is is the number one thing that I've been involved in, aside from school, since I've been in Pittsburgh. So um, that's where my network was tightest. And, uh, and I just figured it would be the most natural kind of progression for me. Um, so yeah. that's that's kind of... Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, the, the Latino community here is not big, but... They usually, um, when it comes to soccer, no matter where it is, they're gonna show up. And even if they they work a tremendous amount of hours, they always find time to play soccer. If you go to Shenley Oval, um, they have uh, usually they have leagues that happen on Sundays. They're always there. Like what that's what they do. They work, eat soccer. Yep, you know? exactly. <laughs> it's in our blood, man. <laughs> um, and that's. That's one of the things that I really appreciate about Pittsburgh. Um, I'm also I'm from the D.C. area, as I said, and it's similar there in the sense that wherever you go, wherever there's a field, not just Latinos, but 
immigrants from all over the world will be there. Absolutely. Um, and I really, really appreciate that about Pittsburgh, even despite... So I know in 2014, Pittsburgh became an officially certified welcoming city, um, specifically in the context of refugees, yeah. um, and which has bolstered communities from all over the world, and, uh, but specifically, obviously, the Somali Banzo community, uh, Syrian community, Afghani community. There's obviously the Nepali, Bhutanese, yeah. exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, and you'll find you'll find people from literally all these countries and more, like who's like Uzbekistan. Like I, I had never even Azerbaijan. Like I didn't even know people from any of these countries before I go to the field and play with them. So it's yeah. pretty dope, man. I mean, it's the same thing too. We didn't know how many um, you know countries were around Pittsburgh until we started um, Pittsburgh African Community two years later after. Um, Pittsburgh was uh, certified as a welcoming city. That's where yeah. we started. Yeah. Um, the Pittsburgh Soccer Community League, just to, just to make sure, like, you know, Pittsburghers know that, you know, we are very diverse, even though we have our own, like, neighborhoods. Like, if you go to um, Polish Hill, majority of them are going to be Polish. You go to... Right. Um, you go to uh, Bloomfield, majority of them are going to be Italians. But when he comes to soccer, he brings us together. And um, for, from there, we start... We started that and, you know, make Pittsburghers know, like, hey, your neighbor is very interesting. Do not be scared of your neighbor. Go talk to him. If that doesn't work, we're going to bring you to soccer and then you're going to talk to him on the field no matter what. So create that friendship and that friendship could last forever. Like I'm talking about on and off the field. But that's what Pittsburgh is great. I mean, there's a lot of people. Um, When we started our league, we started with like four countries. And now we have like twenty four countries being represented, and then that's awesome, man. Players from all over the world. If I can start naming, I I won't even, I won't even like remember all the the you know registered nations that we have. Yeah, because and, and we're we're stat, uh, we keep stat uh, uh, statistics for um, our sponsors because they want to they want that information, but you know it's it's great just to see people speak different languages, but yet be able to communicate with one language and that's the global game of soccer. Yeah, exactly. So um, you obviously mentioned Pittsburgh soccer in the community, which is one of the key things that you've done since moving to the city. But I do want to bring it all the way back to kind of almost cradle to now kind of thing, Mm -hmm. just so the audience has a little more context about your life. Um, So I guess, I mean, the question is like, how did you come to be here? Specifically, how did you get to Pittsburgh? I know you're from Somalia, right? Mm-hmm. Um, could you tell me a little bit about your life story, um, your younger years, and then and then coming to the U.S.? Yeah. Um, I was born in Somalia in 1991, and that's when the Civil War um, first um, started. And a lot of people can connect Somalia War with Black Hawk Down, which is a, a movie. Um, but that's the same, the same year that I was born, um, Siad Bari, who was a dictator of uh, Somalia, got overthrown by other uh, clans, uh, clans group, and I mean, simple uh, like easy corruption. So after he got overthrown, a lot of clan members and in a lot of um, African, you know, countries, when whoever's tribe is like whoever tribe is in uh, in the presidency, that tribe gets the benefit from that. And that's why when he got overthrown by different clan members, all these clans are different tribes, you know, from, you know, from Somalia. And they can never get along because they're looking at if this clan uh, president is recognized by United Nation, that whole tribe gets the benefit because it's more like, I got to I gotta take care of my tribe first. Yeah. That's why to this day, 
um, they might have a like a president or recognized by UN, but the president is not is not able to live in Somalia because none of the other clans or the other tribes are willing to accept that. That's um, what happens when when the West draws boundaries, man. Yeah. Um, it's just it's 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 I think a lot of the tribes are looking at it the aid that is coming in. Yeah, and they're like, well. I'm just gonna. I just want my tribe to benefit and completely forget about everybody else. Right. Um. But once the war, civil war started, like our people, the Somali Bantus, were um, I would I would say more of farmers and you know have their own villages. Not they didn't live in the major cities. Mm. So when the civil war uh, erupted, um, a lot of the soldiers and the clans will come into our villages, uh, rape the women, you know, kill the uh, what do you call it? Kill the 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 men and the boys, and if the boy some of the boys were too young, they'll be you know recruited into be child soldiers, and a lot of the women ran. So, my father um had to flee before you know the the rebels and the soldiers can come to our village. He fled to Tanzania, so it was like all the guys. So all the guys that were married to my auntie, my mom, whatever, they all had to flee so they can escape uh, being killed. And then it was all um, my mom and her sisters and, you know, all the other aunties and all that stuff. So they gathered all the kids together and um, they had to walk from Somalia all the way to Kenya for safety. Mm. Um, at the time, they knew that uh, Kenya had a refugee camp that was set up by United Nations. So my mom and her sisters gathered all the kids with no water, with no food, made, I think it's a three-day journey walk. And there wasn't any food. These are just women with a whole bunch of kids. Wow. At the same time, they're trying to escape uh, clans within the for, uh, within the desert, and they just had to walk to get to safety. Um, and at the time, I was like what, one month old or something like that. My uh, my mom wasn't. My mom was also dealing with like health uh, issues, so she couldn't breastfeed me. So her sister, my aunt uh, Fatuma, who um, you know. Had uh, me and my cousin were born in like about like the same, you know, the same, uh, you know, year. Mm -hmm. So my aunt had to breastfeed me, and then like in terms of water, my cousins remember like recycling pee. So they, cause the desert is hot, there's no water, so they will recycle yeah. pee. Some of the pee in a cup, wait that, wait for it to get cold, and then drink it until wow. it's like a three day journey, no food. Yeah. Um, you know the the women will like just use milk the milk to like feed the young you know the the kid like kids like us that you know were still young mm -hmm. and then whatever they could find in the forest that's what they were eating for 3 days they just kept walking and never looked back but um once they made it to the refugee camp for a few months my uh my father ended up you know reloc uh, re uh what do you call it, locating us and he came and in refugee camps, we were there for like 12 years until um, the Kenyan government was like, um, the Kenyan government told the United Nations, hey, I have so many Somali refugees and I don't want them in my country. Mm. Um, so the United Nations um, were giving us rations, making sure like, you know, we can eat. And sometimes the ration, like the ration was supposed to, the ration they give you is supposed to last for 15 days, uh -huh. but it's it would be more like six days and you'd be out of ration. Um, so the rest you have to make it up, you know. And and you were not you were not no you didn't have any documents, so you couldn't get a job, you couldn't do anything else because you're undocumented, 
you're undocumented um, uh, refugee. I won't even say immigrant because you didn't, you know, you didn't move. Yeah. Undocumented refugee. Um, so you couldn't leave outside the camp that they uh, uh, that they they built, and you couldn't you weren't able to wo- uh, work or have a, a like a decent job. But um, yeah. So like after twelve years, or um, you're not Kenyan government was like, hey, United Nations, get these people out of here. I don't want them in my country. Was so whatever. But at the time, I think Bill Clinton was the president. He was like, okay, well, um, if if um, you guys don't want these refugees, we can take them. And he signed the bill to take um, to relocate all the small refugees to the United States. So that's how um, we came about. And the process took four years. Um, from 2001, actually it started in 1994? Oh, 1995. So they were going through making sure because within within you know the Somali refugees there were some there were some people that you know also had issues with uh, Americans. So like they were trying to you go through all these questioning tests to make sure like you know there's no um, Islamic you know militants you know. Yeah. So they will do a lot of tests. They will do a lot of questionings. And that process, the questioning took like. Cause they had to interview everybody, and sometimes the project was was being um, was being seized, and sometimes uh, issues came up in the project. Yeah. Um, so it took like five five years to get that going, and then once they started, you know, uh, migrating people, they will do it in like bulks, and then wait for a few years, and then do it in bulks. The first group I think started uh, migrating to the United States in two thousand in two thousand and three. Okay. And then we were the second group. Um, it started two thousand four, but we, and we didn't really like pick the city to come in. After like so many tests, they pick a city for you, and they don't even tell you the city that they're gonna, you know, bring you. You just get on the plane. Um, you hand the tickets they, everywhere you go. Like if you go, what? So our plane, t- our plane was like from uh, Joma Kenyatta uh, Airport to one of these European countries. I don't remember which. And then from there, when we went to the gate, as soon as we landed, they they would give us like special clothes to wear. It would say like USA. Everybody had to match. Oh wow! And then we had like a bag, so like people would know, like you know, so we would be identified before we can even. Uh, even when we got on the airplane, we had like a special person or whatever. But um, yeah, we we didn't choose Pittsburgh. They just chose for us. And as soon as we got off the, you know, airplane here, and like we just followed the crowd, and then. We came to the guest area, I guess, like the passenger pickup. Uh-huh. We had a guy, um, our caseworker had a sign. It said, like, um, Mugaza family, you know? So we're like, okay, I guess he's supposed to take us. Luckily, the guy um, was, uh, he's, he, he spoke Swahili, so we were able to communicate with him. But that's, um, that's, that's, that's the story how we uh, got to Pittsburgh as re- Somali refugees. So, how old were you when you got here? I was. I was 13 years old, um, and I didn't speak English. I mean, I knew some of the bad words, of course, yeah, yeah. but I didn't speak. I couldn't communicate with um, anybody. And even, like, with the school, they uh, because of our age, so we had to start in middle school. Uh-huh. But I remember in middle school, we were learning ABCs, or, like, A as in apple, B as in, mm. you know, uh, bad, or, like, C as in cat. Yeah, and like I'm talking about, I'm in eighth grade learning ABCs, and like they're telling me, hey, next year you gotta go to, you gotta you gotta go to high school. 
I, I I came in July in June, like June 9th, that's what 2004. Yeah. So like the school was already closed and there was no point of uh, you know, there was no point of going to school anyway. So they just like just wait until the whatever cuz I would have been in 7th grade for like what? I don't know. 6 days. Right. So they didn't even they didn't even bother. That's crazy, man. So because just to bring it back to soccer, right? Mm. Mm-hmm. When you were in the camps, refugee camps in Kenya, was that a kind of an activity that everyone did together? Because I, I, I imagine, obviously, I'm, I wasn't in your shoes, but I imagine that there wasn't that much to look forward to every day. It was kind of more of like surviving on a day to day basis. So, like, what, what role did soccer play in kind of from when you were in Somalia, went to Kenya? We're in Kenya for a while, then came to the U.S. Like, was that one of the kind of the constants for you that that uh, you could always look forward to and that that united people? We played soccer every day, every chance we can get. Yeah, that's what was happening. Um, I uh, I lived in a place where I could see the field. So whenever mm. people start showing up, so we played in the morning before we went to um, school. Um, nobody really played during the day, like between like eleven to like. But eleven to like four, uh-huh. because the sun was just outrageous. We would ju- we'd just try to be under um under shelter. But like yeah. after four, like we play until like it gets dark, and at the time there wasn't any lighting. There's there's light now. Yeah, because I was able to go to the same refugee camp that I came from uh, last year, and it's much much better now. Um, I'm glad to hear that. But you know, I mean, that's what we did. We play soccer every day. Every so. Day. Hey, that's that's awesome, man. So it's it's more it's obviously more than a sport. Uh, of course, I mean, like we made our own like balls too. It wasn't like some of these inflatable balls. We made uh, balls from like bags. We try to like so bouncy balls. Sometimes we put. I don't even want to say this. Like we wanted to have an inflatable ball so bad. Sometimes we'll take a ball. Um, we'll make a ball and try to mm-hmm. sew like different type of cloth on it. But this will be inflatable, and we'll use balloons, uh-huh. like inflate it, and this will be like super light because it didn't have like the leather, you know, yeah, uh, weight to it. It'll be super, super like light. And then sometimes if the balloon inside pop, there was a uh, this is funny, but like there was in the camp they had like this box where the United Nation people put condoms in the box and people can, can take them. Uh-huh. We used to take those condoms and then use them to inflate the ball, and it's. <laughs> <laughs> So you could just get that bounce. Sometimes we didn't like balloons were like we rarely get balloons, but we knew where we can find something inflatable and we're just using condoms and just to inflate the ball. And sometimes we use use uh, plastic bags and just wrap it on top of each other, just wrap it on top of each other. In the middle you put something heavy, like you you wanna put you don't we didn't put rocks or like dirt, we put cloth or something that was very heavy to have weight to the ball. Yeah. You just wrap plastic around it, wrap plastic. And every time you wrap plastic and then you want the plastic to like stick to each other. We'll just put it on, t- like, uh, just kind of like put it on top of fire, just so it, like it could stick to each other. Mm. And just wrap it around it until the ball was like really, really small. It would be even smaller than. It would be a little bit bigger than a softball, but smaller than a size four. Interesting. So and then like it was, and on top of it, you have to decorate it. We use different type of clothing to decorate. So you'll sew it into onto the thing. Yeah. Every time you got hit, it, like you know, it'll come off, and then we'll go sort again. But we have different patterns, so like that, and then it'll be dirty. Right? But it's, I'm telling you, and people, and you talking about we had no shoes, and yeah. then, um, it's, 
the 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 good thing about the camp um we didn't really have to do deal with a lot of with like thorns and stuff like that uh-huh. and the ground was like when it rains and it dries up the ground gets hard gets who softens the ground mm. our feet and especially at the and then the goals sometimes we just use whatever we can there's no like goal post sometimes we put shoes sometimes we put um somebody's shirt just to like make small goals but we'll play for a long time and that's yeah. something we had really very promising players, but they just didn't have the resources to you know, make it out or whatever. But yeah. Yeah. it was cool, like good memories. I I tell you that I wasn't I wasn't good in the camp. I was way better <laughs> here, um, but I wasn't good in the camp. But I enjoyed. Yeah, a lot. I mean, you were still young. Yeah, I mean, I got I I didn't get picked last, but almost I wasn't the first pick. I'll tell you that. All right. <laughs> Hey, you're a good player now, though. Dude. Yeah, now for sure. I, I, I've been in high school. I was terrible. Mm. I, I became a good player um, after I guess in college, and but it, it was weird because I didn't even play college soccer. But being able to manage that building and being able to play with different players, and uh, it was kind of good because like my first, I didn't play first year of high school. Because my uh, my brothers put fear in me, like, oh, you're gonna, you're too slow, you're too short, mm. and uh, the second year, I'm like, I'm not gonna listen to them, and I I went for my uh, sophomore year, and I was in a JV, and I did a couple of like varsity games, and uh, after that, like, just that, I remember having a having a running with the coach, um, got kicked out for like a few like weeks, and I ended up going back to apologizing. Um, but yeah, I was I was okay in high school. Um, so that's a that's a good transition point because I I do want to talk a little bit more about like the landscape of the Pittsburgh soccer community when you got here mm-hmm. and kind of like talking about how it's how it's transformed where it's at now. Um, I know even now it's still kind of a it's a little bit of gatekeeping. It's a little. It's a little segregated. It's. It, I think it's getting more integrated. You know, slowly, slowly. But obviously, in the U.S., it's this soccer is largely a pay-to-play sport. It's an upper middle class sport. You have to have the resources to be able to pay for travel teams. Where if I mean, if you're in an academy, that's a obviously the Riverhounds is the only academy in the city. But um, there's plenty of resources that, that go into that as well. Um, and as you were saying, it's resources that primarily refugee and immigrant communities don't have. So um, could you talk a little bit about, like, what, obviously, within your own kind of microcosm, but then transitioning kind of to to zooming out to, like, the larger lens, like, how has the the landscape of the city changed? In terms of soccer? In terms of soccer. I mean, I can only talk about what I've been around. Uh I really can't talk about um, stuff that I didn't see. Uh Uh-huh. Um, definitely when you go to like, um, when you go to Shenley Park, you can see more diverse there, but back in the day, um, like even that field when we first got here that, you know, turf field wasn't there. Yeah. Um, and there weren't, uh, there weren't so many people come in to play like there are before, uh, there are now. Um, but it's, you know. When you find out that like the game that you enjoyed and it was free and like now people are char- charging like ten thousand, eight thousand dollars a year. Yep. And like and on top of that, like you have to buy your own jersey. You gotta take your mm. own son or or daughter 
you got to pay for your own hotel. Yep. And then you do all that, and the coach might not even play your, you know, your child. Yeah. You know, and you look at it, and then you look at it like, but that, you know, these parents are paying so much money, and the kids are not even that good. Yep. You know, <laughs> um, I was watching a goalkeeper training session with uh, some team. I don't want to mention their name. Uh-huh. Um, and one of the kids, because um, we do pickups on Sunday, one of the kids that, you know, uh, my cousin Ali's uh, little brother, he was like, oh, that team, we just beat on them like 8-0. And, <laughs> and I kept mm-hmm. laughing. I'm like, their parents, you know, they're, they're paying like $8,000, $10,000 a year, and the kids are not even that good. You have kids that are very talented and have an opportunity, uh, ha- have have the gift to like make it far, but, you know, because their parents don't have the the funds or the parents don't have the capacity to put them in that program, they just they end up not um doing anything. I mean, there's this one kid who's saying, I'm talking about for a 13-year-old, he was amazing. Mm-hmm. He is strong, nice ball control. Um, He can shoot, play with both feet, and yeah. never been coached. I mean, he's... He was doing the ambassador thing, but never been coached professionally. Yeah, and um, you know, I had talked to his parent, and like one of uh, the agent, one of the scouts was looking at him, and like he just, they just whatever the scout wanted, it wasn't, it wasn't that funds weren't weren't available, mm. and he doesn't even play anymore. I'm talking about for a 13 year old, he could play with, I'm talking about 20 year olds, and still be able like he was strong he's wow. strong so it's funny you say that because a similar i don't think you actually know about this the similar situation happened um for all our listeners open field uh it's the organization i work for haji uh is, has, has also been very involved over the years um basically it's an organization that provides free soccer programming to refugee and immigrant youth primarily the somali bantu community yeah. um and so last season i was coaching i was coaching last fall with uh with two other coaches, and one of them, her name is Natalia, she worked for the Riverhounds, she now works for the Steelers, but she worked for the Riverhounds, and so she was tight with, you know, a lot of the people there, and had connections in the academy and stuff, and so she got three of the kids on our team Mm -hmm. tryouts at the Riverhounds, and she even told me, she was like, yeah, like, apparently they have the scholarship, like a $10,000 scholarship that that should cover, be able to cover two kids, you know, for for a year and potentially it would be endowed and stuff like that. Mm. Um, and so we bring them over to, to Montour, which is like the Riverhounds training complex. It's like mm. this, if you, if you haven't been there, it's like this stunning, stunning complex, whole indoor field and everything. Um, and the three kids try out, right? Well, I, I brought, I brought two and then she brought the other one to the, to the older kids uh, facility or uh, to the uh, Highmark stadium. But, the two that I brought, I'm I'm not obviously not gonna, not going to mention their names, but one of them was with the U12s, one of them was with the U13s, and they both after after the session, we went up and talked to the coaches and the coaches were like especially there was the U12 one especially. Mm-hmm. They were like he is amazing, like he fit right into the team, like I would love to have him on the team. Yeah. And I wasn't surprised because these kids are extremely like extremely talented, yeah, you know. Absolutely. Um it's raw talent. And so we followed up with with the academy, uh, the academy director, because these were obviously the coaches. They 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 weren't they the director, weren't, yeah. And he never responded. So you have these situations where even in the rare circumstance where there's let's say a five thousand dollar, ten thousand dollar scholarship available, the the dots still aren't being connected because of 
whether it's bureaucracy or they just don't want to put the effort in to make sure that these kids are getting the opportunities that they deserve. Um, and it's a shame, man. It's a shame. But good transition because yeah. you have obviously done a lot of work to kind of work against this to 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 connect these dots that that haven't been connected before. Um, could you talk about Pittsburgh soccer in the community? Um, what was your role in in this organization, in creating the organization, and uh, and where it's at now? Um, I just want to go back for a little bit. Um, there's this coach uh, named Mike Gardner, uh-huh. who's uh, who coached at Central and got uh, very two talented players to play ODP, uh-huh. and he's now at Arsenal. He he's like I think an ambassador, maybe a senior coach. Uh-huh. If there is talent, he will nurture talent, will accept talent, doesn't care about the club costs. Mm. So if you have players that are really good, I will connect them with uh, Mike Gardner. Bet. Thank you. He is, he has, like I said, he has, uh, like, good players that made it far. Mm. Um, they represent the United States, but obviously, oh, wow. obviously because of, you know, the kids' choices, they didn't. They couldn't go farther than that, but yeah, Mike Gardner, he's a really, really, really good coach, and when he sees talent, he will do whatever he takes. And I'm talking about he will pick him up himself, drop him off, mm. all, the, you know, all the 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 shebang, and he's the guy who breathes, eats soccer. Yeah. Um, but yeah, if you ever have, if you like that, there's a kid that you know needs needs eyes. Just let me know. I can I can connect him with um, Mike Gardner, and he will make it happen. This is um, what Haji does, y'all. It's what he yeah. does. <laughs> but uh, the question you asked, Pittsburgh Soccer in the community, um, the way it's funny, the way Pittsburgh Soccer community came came about is, um, well, it was started by two English guys that, that just wanted to, uh, you know, um, expose soccer to uh, uh, urban kids here in Pittsburgh. Uh-huh. Um, but it's funny the way... Um, you know, they met me as we were kicking soccer outside in Lawrenceville when Lawrenceville wasn't Lawrenceville that it is now. Yeah. Um. So Tony Chifo, who was like the, uh, the either, he anyway. Tony Chifo was like the neighborhood, or representative or whatever you want to call them. And he had like uh-huh. a pickup truck, and he always drove by our street and he saw us kicking us kicking soccer balls. And then this one day. Um, he came around. It's like you guys want to. This like talking about a mysterious white man just pulls up to our street. <laughs> he has a pickup truck. It's like you guys like soccer. Get on, get on the truck. <laughs> <laughs> and then like at the time, I mean, we trusted white people. You know, it was just weird. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so we got on the truck. Me, my sisters, and everybody else. He and a backup pickup truck. He drove us down to the Arsenal. Um, Arsenal Middle School front field. And there you go. The um, you know they were just bringing kids that you know. I love the game, and from there, um, the the founders took a liking to me, and um, we just kept communication. After that, um, they had, they had, um, they had like, they at the neighborhood academy, they had a, a collaboration with the neighborhood academy, which they were able to use the neighborhood academy uh, field house to generate uh, funds. Mm. At the same time. You know the the benefit would soccer Pittsburgh soccer community would get free time. Mm. So from there, I ended up you know just kind of managing a facility, and but like we have to they were doing a youth program youth programming, but it wasn't 
it was more like a school and I wanted to utilize the facility more. So uh, I started the league and was the league manager. But at some point, uh, Justin had came and, you know, help us set up a nice program that is still happening. And that's like the adult league. Mm. Um, and I'm trying to, you know, I I took the league as much as I can take it. Yeah. And now, uh, you know, I need somebody else to step in and, you know, take that over and and take it take it to um take it to a different level but uh i was the i was the league director and i was the facility manager for a long time so before before this league the the Pittsburgh soccer and the community adult league mm-hmm. was there another kind of league that existed that that united uh adult immigrant populations through soccer in the way that this did not really. I didn't think so. I mean, there probably was, but I I didn't know anything about it. Yeah. Um. The only league that I knew was the GPSL, but that's not what that wasn't like. Uh, um. That wasn't you know something that united uh, refugees and Pittsburghers. Mm. Um. They just those were just like very good players, college players, and these played. But this one is strictly reu- like uniting. You refugees and Pittsburghers that call Pittsburgh home. Mm. We wanted to make Pittsburgh safer, and we wanted uh, Pittsburghers to know their neighbors, yeah, and know their culture instead of like seeing somebody outside and like judging them. Right. Get to know them first, know what they like, what they like, the food, their culture, the music that they you know they listen to. So in that case, you know you can relax. You don't feel you don't have to feel threatened. Yeah, you know, by somebody's uh, you know culture. If you don't know them, that's the whole point. Just bringing Pittsburghers together. Yeah, that's beautiful, man. So, speaking of, so you said you're you're kind of transitioning out of this little bit. It's it was it was kind of your child, but yeah. now now it's time to the to, child has yeah grown now, up. yeah <laughs> exactly. It's an empty nest now. Yeah. So I wanted to ask what a twofold question, kind of what are your what are your plans coming up? Obviously, you're you're a filmmaker and and you're kind of investing more in that side of the business. Absolutely. Um, and then in addition, so in addition to what you're doing personally, what's your what's your kind of vision? Like, where do you see the Pittsburgh immigrant soccer community moving in the next, let's say, five to ten years? I I owe, like I love the Premier League, and a lot of people don't see, but each team in the Premier League has an academy, and those kids move up and all the way, you know, to the, you know, first team. Mm-hmm. Um, and my motto is the more people play, the more people get to know each other and the more people get to learn about other people's, um, you know, culture, um, foods, and being able to continue that friendship. Yeah. Um, me personally for the league is try to make it as professional as possible. Mm. And um, continue the mission of getting Pittsburghers to know their neighbors, and continuing that not only here but take it to other cities. You know, cities like Columbus, Ohio. Um, you know, just the surrounding areas, even like West Virginia. People might not know, but there's you know, there's there's some immigrants in West Virginia. Like I went to Alaska, I was shocked. I seen some some immigrants from South Sudan. I see. Mm. I was I was shocked. I was like, <laughs> why would you want to live in Alaska? You know what I mean? Like it's cold, but yeah. there's immigrants everywhere, yeah. and a lot of people, um, you know, when they see that they 
they have their guards up or like they kind of get uptight a little bit. But it's because you don't know that person. Yeah. And the only thing that I know, the only way I can bring people together, is, me is soccer is global and then food. Right. You know what I mean? Right. So that's the the, you know, the vision that I had. Make it as professional as you can be and then take it to multiple cities where it's run by different people. So just be able to, you know, make people in that city know who they are, like, you know, who their neighbor and learn about other cultures. You don't want to be a person who's single-minded, you know. You want to yeah. be, you want to have, you want to be open-minded. And that's what, uh, you know, soccer would do for you if you meet uh, other people. And then not only just soccer, but any sport. It brings, sport bring people together. Yeah. Um, any sport. And we, we, I mean, we tried basketball too. We had a little, um, I mean, this, uh, this year was the second year we did like, um, Basketball, we we collaborated with um, YBL, uh-huh. and we were able to bring Africans and Americans, but I, just to share like that love for basketball as well. Uh-huh. So that's what we do: use sport to bring um, you know pe- pe- people together, because that's all we know. And the other thing, the other thing too is um, when you're talking about the uh, like leagues in, in in different states, kind of different cities. Mm-hmm. It's funny because there. There's the leagues that we talked about, the the clubs that we talked about, like Beedling, Arsenal, Riverhounds, Hotspurs, etc. Yeah. And then there's actually like full leagues of like, for example, like I know the Somali Bantus have one, and also like the Nepalis have like a really big network that they'll travel yeah. to Erie, they'll travel to New York, they'll yeah. travel to West Virginia, like you said, and it's like, if only these communities were connected more, you know, because of course traveling out of state for 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 a sport is kind of a is it's a big kind of undertaking. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I totally agree with you that, that in the next few years, it's, it's going to continue to, to, to unite as well. I, w- one thing I want to speak about the Nepali, um, leagues or tournament, they are completely, completely, um, like it's all Nepalis. Yeah. There's no diverse. That's the only thing that I really don't like to talk about it because yeah. there's no diverse. And there's been conversations between me and like some of their leaders and every time they do have tournaments or like, hey, you gotta be diverse. Yeah. You have to be diverse. Now, it's the the Somalis have tournaments and they have two tournaments and these are like the biggest tournament in the United States. And um it's in Louisville, Kentucky, which the other one is coming up actually on Thanksgiving. But oh, wow. with that one, uh-huh. you're going to see everybody from everywhere. Mm. I'm talking about everybody from everywhere. Um, and it's just like bringing people together. And it's a three-day, both of them are three-day uh, three festival. Um, the one in Thanksgiving, you know, it starts on Thursday and it ends on on Sunday. They end it, they, uh, Saturday night, they end it with... Uh, they ended with a music festival. Oh wow! But they it's teams from all over, uh, teams from all over the United States, and players from all over the world. Wow! I'm talking about. I've seen Mexicans. I've seen this guy. I went to those tournaments. I seen it with my own eyes. Like there's players from all over the world, mm. and um, that's what it's. It's very diverse. And then there's uh, summer. It's the same thing. And like the, that one is very competitive. Yeah. Um, they so the winter is like futsal and whatever, but it's very uh-huh. competitive. They talk, I'm talking about the last that when we played, 
they had two players from the MLS that played. Oh wow! I'm talking. These are players that are super good players that are in like D1 colleges and like yeah. reserve players in like professional teams and first team players from like MLS. Shh. It's it's very competitive. Yeah, but it's players from all over the world. Like if and you know we, we you can see pictures and and that's you know uh, Mohammed Mohammed Musa. He's all about bringing people together too. That's why when I first met him, he took. He took a liking to me because you know we have the same uh, vision. Mm. Um, it's the same thing, but all, the thing about the Nepali tournament, and that's why I always like I'm like, hey guys, you gotta do better. Yeah. And talking to Sudesh and you know our Nepali friends, you know, I mean that's fine if they want to, and I understand if they want to just you know nurture their community and that that's absolutely fine too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but you know you have to. You can't be a single-minded. You have to, because you deal with these people every day. Right. You know, after you leave the tournament, you're going to have to see, a, a, you know, an African person. You're going to have to see a white person. You're going to have to see a Mexican. Yeah. You know, so, because that's your neighbor. So you, who, so who exactly, like, what's the, what's the organization that, that puts those tournaments together? Like the one in Louisville? Uh, so the one in Louisville, it's just one guy. Um, it's literally just... Mohammed Musa, but he has his friends. I don't, right, right. I don't know the organization that does that, but he has friends that um that help him. And Mohammed Musa, he's 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 amazing. He's a very calm guy, and like we, you know, we come together and help. But I'm talking about when you go there, like Eric, you will be amazed. Mm. I'm talking about the winter, and he he collaborates with a lot of people too. Um, even like, uh, when we went there, we went, we, last year we went for the, uh, we went there for the, for the winter, uh, for the summer. Uh-huh. Uh, we didn't do bad in the summer. We, we lost three and won one, but it was too late. But like our, our heaviest defeat was four one. Um, for a new team, that's actually pretty good. Cause new, most new teams get beat like 10, zero, 10, one. Um, and then the winter was uh the futsal, it was different. Mm. It was different. It was like completely different guys. Um the, the teams the team that won it in the winter is a Milwaukee All Star and like I would say forty fifty percent of their players are, you know, Latin descent. Mm. They had like two or three players from, you know, uh from, you know, Somalia or Kenya. Mm-hmm. And then like and most of the goalkeepers either like is gonna be a white person or whatever, mm. um, but like it's 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 a mixture of everybody. You're not gonna see a team just one like just a Somali Bantu team. That's it. Yeah. Like all the even like for us when we took our team, we have people from you know we 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 use our league to recruit everybody. Yeah. You know I mean we had Jamaica, you have uh, Iraq, we had uh, Congo, we had, you know, we just, that's, that's what it's about. And yeah. the, 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 the cool thing is when we went for the winter, we're able to like use the hotel. We got a really nice hotel. Mm-hmm. We're able to use the hotel library vibe. We play games, you know, it's like a, just a yeah. vibe just to like kick it. We, we had all the pizza. It's, it's, it's those type of like, you know, bringing people together, you know, and like people had to share like rooms and stuff. It's, it's that type of vibe. Yeah. And just kicking and learning, you know, from um, learning one a thing or two from, you know, your your neighbor. That's awesome, man. So yeah. we are kind of close to running out of time here. Yeah. But um, what is there anything that that uh, 
you want the audience to be following? Like what like what do you have coming up next? What uh what should people know about you? Um the league is about to start. The Pittsburgh Soccer and Community League. And this Saturday we have a kickoff event. So it'll be pickups, uh free pickup, food and registration. You can register as a, a free agent. Um so if you like you don't have a team, we'll put you in a team. But uh come to the kickoff um from six to nine. There'll just be pickup going on and there'll be food. And the league starts on December second and um we're still uh we don't a lot of the teams is with the way we um the way we like, you know, uh get teams is like word of mouth. Mm. Uh, we don't really do a lot of social media because if we do, we'll get an influx of like teams that we really can't um, yeah. handle in terms of our capacity. So we're looking for one more team because unfortunately we had a team drop out due to not having enough players. Mm. Um, so if anybody's interested in um, playing, you know, it's co-ed and it's very competitive. Um, so for new teams, it's $500 and you play all winter long. So it, Registration is four hundred dollars, and then we have we take a hundred dollars down as bond, which will cover like your red card, yellow cards, and late fees and whatever. Mm. Um, so if your your team doesn't get none of those uh, fees, you get your hundred dollars back. But most teams don't even take that money back; they just want to put it on to the next to the next uh, registration. Um, mm. You know. Yeah, yeah. But um, I am working on a documentary, and that will be it's gonna be a long time coming. But doing that, but other than that. What's the documentary about? The documentary is about me. Uh, a lot of people have been telling me to tell my story. Mm. And I've been trying to um, find a very different way to um, tell it. And it's 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 kind of weird because a lot of people don't tell the documentaries about themselves. Yeah. It feels like se- a person who's self-centered. Mm. But um, I'm trying to think a way differently how to uh, tell it. Um, the documentary title is uh, Refugee Camps to Big Screens. Um, that is awesome, man. Yeah, and but yeah, I mean, it's 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 coming. We're going to interview some people and um, get some stuff together. Um, definitely, I'm going to try to set up uh, a GoFundMe here very soon and um, get the documentary going. Hey, well, thank you for your time, man. Um Y'all stay tuned for the next episode. Thank you again, Haji. And uh, yeah, peace out. Thank you so much for having me. And this was fantastic just to talk about soccer. And we never really get to sit down and talk, but thank you for having me. And good luck. And I hope, you know, it goes well. And good luck in your class as well. Hey, thank you, man. Yeah.